Amen. Go ahead and grab your seats, grab your Bibles, and turn to the book of Philippians. Um, I'm excited to get to dive into that as a brand new book to you today. Uh, essentially, the book of Philippians is kind of a thank you letter. And you may see a big thank you letter right here in front of me. Uh, it says, uh, I think it says, just thank you, very big thank you, right? Uh, a huge thank you. Uh, that is through our partnership with Hyde Grove Early Learning Center right here next door. Um, we were given through a, another gospel partnership with Lexington Baptist Church in Lexington, South Carolina, who has sent several mission teams down here to serve us at times and uh, be a blessing to us and advance us in the gospel work that God has given us in this community. And so with coronavirus, they felt like they couldn't send a mission team, although they wanted to. Uh, and so instead of sending a mission team, they gave us some money and said, use that money uh, on mission. And so we've done several things with that. Uh, we've paid for some things that have helped us with Feeding Northeast Florida. Uh, get ready for that. We've paid for a big breakfast at Lakeshore Middle School, serving all the teachers and faculty there. And one of the big things that we did is as I met with the teachers at Hyde Grove Early Learning Center, uh, they were... They were just discouraged, and I asked the principal what we could do, and she said encouragement of any kind would be helpful. And so many of you hand-wrote cards, thank-you cards, that we got to give to uh, the teachers at Hyde Grove Early Learning Center. And because of the money given to us by Lexington Baptist Church, we were able to put a $25 gift card in each of those cards. So each teacher and each faculty member, 60 in total, uh, received a handwritten thank you card from one of you uh, for all their work serving the community and a $25 gift card to let them know that we love them and we've partnered with them. And I would honestly say it's just a beautiful picture of gospel partnership uh, between a church in South Carolina investing in a church in Jacksonville, Florida, investing in an early learning center right next door that has opened the doors and allowed us to serve them and partner with them in so many different ways. And so they responded back with this cute little elementary school-made teacher uh, thank you card. And I would encourage you to come look at it. And each teacher, a lot of them, not everybody, but a lot of them hand-wrote little notes in there thanking you for your partnership with them. And what's fascinating is I did not time, I didn't ask them for a thank you card, but they brought that. And then here I am about to introduce to you a beautiful thank you letter for gospel partnership in the book of Philippians. So I decided I couldn't not use that in my introduction. Uh, and so I would encourage you to look at that and praise God for the gospel partnerships that he has blessed us with, with Lexington Baptist Church and with Hyde Grove Early Learning Center. As we look at that, we look at the book of Philippians. Why study the book of Philippians? Well, obviously, the easiest answer is it's in the Bible, and we should study all the stuff that's in the Bible. But why specifically Philippians? Because we do believe that. We believe that you'll find almost every one of our sermon series here is really going to be... Somebody asked me, hey, what's your sermon series titled? And I said, Philippians. They said, well, it's not very creative, I said, I, I actually do love creativity, but I intentionally do that because I want to remind you that it's not about my creativity. The best thing I can possibly give you as your pastor is the Word of God. And, and so why, why Philippians specifically? Um, well, as the Lord laid this on my heart towards the end of last year, as I was preparing this calendar, uh, we knew that this would be 
uh, right here for whatever reason God had it. And so as I was preparing, I thought, so why Philippians? Why right now? Because it's been interesting to see how God has lined a lot of things up this year in our series. And God had us go through the book of James as we were starting to really encounter the difficulties of this year. And it really challenged us and how we process things and how we use our, our words and our, and our mouth. And then we went through the book of Esther as things it felt like just got worse in our country. And the book of Esther reminded us that in those moments when it feels like God is silent, when it seems like this absolutely cannot be his plan, that that does not mean he is absent. And he is mightily at work in the mundane little things that we don't even realize what's happening. And I've, I've been encouraged all year to see how God is perfectly lined up a sermon calendar he gave me in October of last year to what we needed to hear, what I needed to hear in the moment. And so why Philippians? Why right now? Well, Philippians is a thank you letter to a church that is seeing some spiritual maturity. Philippians is really about being better together. It's about joy and unity. It's about the church, having gospel partnership together. It's about pushing back darkness and, and walking worthy of a life that's worthy of the gospel. It's about finding joy in difficult seasons of life. As the Philippians are going through some persecution and some difficulty in their city, and while Paul is writing this from a Roman prison, he points us to joy. <laughs> but Contrary to what I've heard many people say, joy is not actually the central theme of the book of Philippians. As a matter of fact, Philippians uses the word for gospel uh, more per hundred words than any other book in the Bible. The central theme of the book of Philippians is the gospel and how the gospel brings us joy, how the gospel empowers us to have joy in difficult times. And so ultimately, the book of Philippians points to the power of the gospel in our lives. Whether those seasons that we are in be good or difficult or whatever we are in. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 4, where Paul says, I have found the secret to being content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That idea of finding our strength and our joy and our purpose and our power in the gospel is really a central idea or theme of the whole book of Philippians. It's written a little bit differently than a lot of other Paul's letters. Um, he doesn't seem to really correct wrong doctrine, which is why I say it's, it, I think this is to a more spiritually mature church than maybe when we were in Galatians earlier in, in Galatians. He doesn't even have a nice greeting in the beginning like he does in Philippians. He just comes out hard and he, and he throws some pretty hard rebukes out in the book of Galatians. Uh, here, you'll see this one is laced with deep emotion and affection for the Philippians because of the gospel partnership that God has given them. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for, uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we read uh, this greeting and prayer of Paul, Lord, I echo Paul's prayers that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And God, as I speak today, I pray that I would be a broken vessel that you speak through that you would give me boldness and clarity, or that you would give me supernatural wisdom and power, but Lord, that it wouldn't remain with me, but that it would enter all of our hearts as we each grow in love and understanding and maturity into you. In Jesus' wonderful and sweet and powerful name, we pray. Amen. It's hard not to be overcome with affection for the church when you read a letter like this and think about all that God has done and continues to do through his church. I think about the relationships that Paul has here and all that he has going on. I think about our theme of better together, pushing back the darkness in our theme passage in Ephesians 4, 11, how it's the job of the the elders and the teachers and the uh, leaders of the church to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that work of ministry brings us to maturity in Christ and the fullness of Christ. And I think about that as I read this and think, what a great prayer to accompany our annual theme here of better together, pushing back the darkness, pursuing spiritual maturity together. And so we're going to take a really slow start here through the first couple of verses, and we'll pick up our pace a little bit. And so you may want to, if you've got your Bible out, also flip to hold your finger there in First Timothy and flip to Acts chapter 16, because we would be remiss to miss the context of the relationship between Paul and Timothy and the Philippian church. Uh, and so we'll go a little bit back and forth to Acts 16 here in just a minute. So we'll start out slow here with gospel partnership. 
Just starting out in the beginning of the first verse, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, at the beginning of Acts 16, you don't have to turn there right now, but maybe in the first kind of several, uh, one, I think, eight verses, we see Paul's encounter with Timothy as he meets Timothy, a young man who was the son of a Jewish woman that was a believer uh, in Jesus, but his father was Greek. And so they develop a partnership, a relationship, a spiritual father and son type relationship between Paul and Timothy. And then pretty shortly after that, Paul had a vision that called them on mission to Macedonia, where Philippi happens to be. And so they head there. They end up specifically in Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. And Paul and Timothy both have a deep and loving relationship with Philippi. And Philippi is like this <laughs> little Rome. It's, if, if you were familiar with Rome and you ended up in Philippi, you would think, man, this reminds me a lot of Rome. Uh, and it was intentionally so. It was intentionally just built off of that, all the Greco-Roman ideas and Roman uh, architecture and Roman uh, economics and everything about Philippi was like a miniature version of Rome. And so why does Paul include Timothy here? And it's, it's unique in how he does in other greetings and salutations. He doesn't seem to do it in the same way. It's not that Timothy co-wrote this. It's that Timothy has been there side by side with Paul in all of his relations with Philippi. It's, as a matter of fact, if you were to, we'll, we'll get there in a little bit, but when we get to chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, it, it talks about the relationship that Timothy has with Philippi, that they're deeply connected with each other because of the gospel ministry that they've done together. And then he calls them servants. Now, usually when Paul starts a greeting like this, he doesn't include somebody else like he does Timothy. And he, he brings this idea of apostle. Uh, and usually, so here's my take on why that is. Um, and so you may disagree, and that's fine. Uh, but I believe that when Paul addresses himself as an apostle in the greeting, it's because he is correcting bad theology, and he needs to remind them that he does have that authority as an apostle to do that. And the primary purpose here of the book of Philippians, the letter to Philippi, is not to correct theology, but it's to thank them for their continued investment in him. So you have to understand, ever since Paul showed up at Philippi, Philippi, more than anywhere else than he has been, has really invested in him. They've invested in him financially. They've invested in him relationally. Even as he went on from there to other cities, they continued to pour into him and pour into that relationship. They, they maybe hit a season, we think, for a little while. They weren't able to support him as much. And that's why in Philippians 4, he says, I thank God that God has revived your concern for me. But they've always been deeply intertwined, even as Paul has left Philippi. And so they've sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift to him while he's in prison because prisons did not provide really everything you needed to sustain your life at that time. And so you were reliant on outside help. And so the Philippians send some outside help through Epaphroditus. And so he sends this letter back as a thank you. And so he addresses himself as a servant, doulos. Now that word is only used one more time in the book of Philippians, and it's in chapter 2, uh, where we talk about 
I believe, let's see, it's in chapter 2, verse, let's see, starting 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, talking about Jesus, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No, it's in verse 7. Starting 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, though being God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. That same word, doulah, is used there to describe Christ. And, and Paul is, re, is really referencing to himself and Timothy, not in the authority of an apostle, although he certainly has that, but as servants, as slaves to Christ, and not slaves to Christ as if Christ needs servants to serve him, but as we study the scriptures, we find that when we are servants of Christ, we actually receive the fruit of righteousness by being a servant of Christ. And so Paul is kind of laying out the groundwork here with the Philippian church of how he wants to address this. And so then he says in verse 1, I promise we'll move faster through other verses, uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. He's referring to them as saints, all of them. And we've talked about this before. Who are the saints, right? When we looked at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that it is the job of the leaders to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Saints are, are not an idea of people who are like varsity level Christians or on the next level because they've done some miracles and we ought to pray to them and, and maybe have pictures and maybe you've heard of different saints like St. Christopher, the patron saint of travel. And you may have heard of somebody bringing a St. Christopher medal with them or, or necklace when they fly on a plane because maybe St. Christopher will keep them safe and different patron saints and different things. That's, that's not what the Bible means when it talks about saints. If you are a child of God adopted into his family, washed by the blood of Jesus. You are a saint. Uh, you are a saint not because of anything you have done, but you are a saint because of what Jesus has done. You are a saint because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, and there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. You are a saint because you are a co-heir with Christ. You are a saint because you are forgiven. You are a saint because you are beloved. You are a saint because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that same Holy Spirit, like we talked about last week, that split the Red Sea, that same Holy Spirit that created the universe, that same Holy Spirit that breathed out the word of Scripture resides in you, saint. And this is a beautiful idea that doesn't need to be missed, that Paul wants to remind them that they are saints. This is a term of endearment and honor that he gives to them. Saints. But he also reminds them, not with any rebuke or correction, but that they have overseers and deacons. They are saints in Christ, but within the body of Christ, the saints are for the work of ministry and the overseers, or this is the word for elders, for leading and equipping the saints, and the deacons for the serving of the body. And he reminds them of this structure. And so he doesn't appeal to his own authority as an apostle, but he appeals to their sainthood and to the governing authority of their local church. Grace to you, verse 2, and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is kind of an alternate version of a typical Roman greeting uh, that would be given normally in a letter. And so he switches it up a little bit to be grace and peace to you. Um, so let's, let's dive into a second where this relationship comes from. So go back to Acts 16. In Acts 16, and I'm going to read through some of these passages pretty quickly just to give you a picture. And I would encourage you this week uh, to read Acts chapter 16 in its entirety and read the book of Philippians in its entirety, all in one sitting. It won't take, it'll take you 20 minutes to read both Acts 16 and Philippians together. And I want, I want you to spend some time diving into these ideas as we go through the book of Philippians. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians as a whole at least once a week in, in one sitting uh, while we go through the book of Philippians. I even ordered online uh, for like $3.50 a uh, ESV scripture journal that just has the book of Philippians in it. That's all that it has in it. And, and so I'm using this every day, uh, primarily because um, I did this when I preached through the Sermon on the Mount. I read Matthew 5 through 7 every day, when uh, all, all three chapters every day when we were preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And then the Sermon on the Mount came out of my Bible. And I didn't want that to happen with the book of Philippians. So I bought this. And so I'm going to use this to read through the book of Philippians every day. It's $3.50 on Amazon. Uh, and so uh, it's made by Crossways, called a scripture journal. Uh, I'd recommend that you do that. You can do it however you want, but I'd encourage you to read through the book of Philippians because as you dive through this on your own is where it'll really come alive. Uh, I want this just to be the introduction, the appetizer, but the real meat will come between you and the word of God. And so as we go to Acts 16, like I said in the in first several verses, we see uh, Paul meeting Timothy, building that relationship, circus, circumcising Timothy, and then the Macedonian call, the vision uh, that Paul gets that leads them to go towards Macedonia, end up in Philippi. And so in, in Philippi, you have to understand, this place was so Roman uh, and not Jewish that now it would normally be Paul's uh, process to go to the synagogue first, right? We almost always see that. When he goes to a new town, he goes to the synagogue first. And because it's to the Jew first and then to the Greek, and his, his, his hope, his heart, his desire is that as he goes to the synagogue and preaches the gospel, that the Jewish people who are already rooted and looking for a Messiah would hear about the Christ, the Messiah, and respond. Usually that's not what happens for Paul. It usually goes bad in the synagogue. Then he ends up amongst the Gentiles. But here, there's not even a synagogue. It requires 10 Jewish men as a quorum in order to gather as a synagogue, and they couldn't find 10 Jewish men to make it happen. So... Paul gets into Philippi, and he comes across a women's Bible study. And so let's start in verse 11 of Acts chapter 16. So setting sail from Troas, this is Luke writing in the book of Acts, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Now, we don't know how long that is, but it's a while. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside uh, the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which means she was Asian, a seller of purple goods 
who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So what a great story. Here, Paul and Timothy and Luke, at least that's we know those three were there, uh, show up in Philippi. And instead of going to synagogue on the Sabbath, they kind of walk around by the riverside. They see some, it's like a women's Bible study happening, basically, a prayer meeting of people who weren't necessarily believers yet, but they were what's called God-fearers. And they had an interest in God. They desired to know more about God. And so they had gathered to pray together. They had heard some things about God. So Paul speaks the gospel. And Lydia, who is a wealthy woman from Asia, somewhere in Asia, Thyatira, uh, is, is, she's not a native to this land. She's made good money by selling purple fabrics. And she has this business that seems to be doing well. She has a house. And she comes to know the Lord, gets baptized. And all of a sudden, the church is planted in her house. So this is character number one. Now, you have to think about this for a second. Paul... Like the Jew of Jews who couldn't stand Gentiles, who was so mad at the Christian movement that he did everything he could to shut it down, got government letters to kick down doors and drag people to prison because he was not okay with the idea of Christianity, is radically saved by Jesus, finds himself in Philippi leading an Asian woman to the Lord. I mean, this is a crazy story. But it doesn't get less crazy. Let's just keep going. It, it continues. So next we have a, a slave girl in verse 16 through 24. So they started a church in Lydia's house. Now, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. All right, so here's what does this mean? Well, this means this was a lady who uh, was possessed by demons in such a way that they gave her a supernatural ability to divine future prophecies and tell, tell things. And, and I think about um, times when I've done street evangelism in the French Quarter of New Orleans and right outside the most famous Catholic church right there. Uh, I mean, it's beautiful, beautiful building. Right, I mean, right on the front steps, basically, are people who read tarot cards, who read bones, who do all sorts of ways to, to tell the future to you. And, and so this kind of person who is somehow possessed or something going on uh, is, is going around telling the, telling the future, fortune-telling, and making her owners as a slave a whole lot of money. People are paying, not her because she's a slave, but her slave owners for her to do this. And I love this in verse 17. She, this is Luke writing. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Now that Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. So, all right. Just rewind. Stop for a second. Think about this. Hear it. Smell it. Taste this story. Right? Paul, former Jew of Jews who hated Christians 
and kicking down doors, is radically saved. He now finds himself in the Roman province of Philippi. First thing is this wealthy, like probably well-educated for a woman at the time, uh, Lydia. And this is great, beautiful conversation by the river and everything's awesome. And this is the start of the church plant in Philippi. And it sounds amazing, right? All that sounds smooth and awesome. And if we were planning a church and that were how it started, we would all be like, man, God's just moving and it's great. But then this really annoying fortune teller just runs around screaming at, the, at them to the point that Paul gets annoyed and frustrated and just stops and goes, all right, I command, get out of her. But the spirit does. Now, I wish I had that ability sometimes when annoying people came and were really loud at me a lot. And I could just say, just, I command, stop. But that doesn't, I've never tried it, but I don't think it would work for me. Um, I mean, I've kind of tried it, but not in the spirit. Uh, I've tried it in my own flesh at times, but so that it came out that very hour, but this is going to cause problems. This is, the story doesn't go well. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, well, I mean, if, if the demon's gone, she can no longer be a fortune teller. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. And they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Uh, the crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right. So I've got to stop for a second and explain what's going on here. So the, the people who own the slave girl are really mad because all of a sudden now they've lost the chance to make money. So they create a riot. So we went from like this peaceful women's Bible study at the riverside to a, a, a slave girl annoying Paul to casting out a demon to now getting the clothes beat off of you in public, thrown into prison. And when it says their feet in stocks, you need to understand this is not just chains around their legs. This is intentional torture, contorting the body in such a way you can never get comfortable. That's what's going on here. Now, let's see what happens as God continues to move in Philippi. So they're in jail. Their legs are locked in such a way that it can torch their body. And about midnight, Paul and Silas... So we know that Silas is with them. We're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, Matt Chandler says Paul must have been the most frustrating, infuriating Christian if you didn't like Christianity, right? Like if you try to kill Paul, he's going to go, Well, to live is Christ, to die is gain, brother. Go ahead. You kill me, I just get to go home and be with Jesus. Well, we'll let you live. Good to live as Christ. I'll just keep telling. We'll, we'll put you in prison. I'll just sing hymns. And so he's in there. They're singing hymns. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Everyone, the whole jail. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What a great start to a church plant. I mean, this is interesting. The beautiful Riverside Bible study to the crazy slave girl to getting your clothes beaten off of you to ending up in jail, tortured to an earthquake, and all of a sudden you're kind of free. But if you're free, then the jailer's going to kill himself. And so you don't run free. You tell him, hey, we're all here. You don't have to kill yourself. And so he's been hearing you sing hymns. He's maybe heard the story of the slave girl. He's maybe heard the story of Lydia. But he's definitely heard what you've been singing. And so he says, what must I do to be saved? They tell him that salvation is available to his whole household. And now all of a sudden, I'm imagining, and I don't think I'm wrong here, that they started gathering at Lydia's house. So now at Lydia's house, this wealthy Asian woman is a Roman guard and a former slave girl in their households. What an interesting start to a church plant. For a long time in church planting, there was this idea called the homogeneous unit principle. Now, homogeneous unit principle is a sociological aspect that still exists within us. We desire to hang out with people that look like, think like us. I mean, just natural. We're, we're going to naturally gravitate to people who are more like us than not like us. And so for several years there in a big church growth movement, uh, church planting experts uh, said you should just take, uh, you know, take advantage of the homogeneous unit principle and you should figure out what your target demographic is and plant a church in that kind of community and just reach those kind of people and do everything for those kind of people. And, and that has grown some large churches. And so I'm not going to say that it hasn't always been a movement of God, but it's not what we see in the Bible. I mean, in the Bible, when, when the gospel comes in and turns things upside down, the beauty of the gospel is you all of a sudden find people partnering together that would never partner together. You can't, you can't name another scenario where this Roman guard and this slave girl and this Asian business owner would all of a sudden start hanging out at the Asian lady's house. That's not going to happen, except for the gospel. And so I, I've been preaching this since the day I got here. The answer to our country's problems is not government. It's not policies. It's not, we can't legislate it. It is the gospel. It is the power of the gospel. And it's not just the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel being played out in gospel partnerships. It's Lexington Baptist Church using their resources to invest in a small revitalization effort on the west side of Jacksonville, who then in turn invest in Hydegrove Early Learning Center that was once an F-rated school five years in a row, but now is, is getting higher reading rates and all sorts of things than they have before, and they'll tell you, believe it or not, that part of that's because we've just started praying for them and partnering with them and encouraging them. We redid their teacher's lounge, and we've loved on them. Gospel partnerships are a beautiful thing. And gospel, listen to me, gospel partnerships are a necessary call in your life. The gospel is not meant to just be received and consumed, and thank God we got it, and then I'm going to live my life, and you live your life. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. 
No, the gospel is meant to be partnered. It's koinonia, like we talked about last week. It's deep partnerships and valuable togetherness. And so think of all those stories. And then keep that in mind when Paul, let's pick back up. Finally, we're going to get to verse 3. Pick back up with all that in mind when Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul's thinking, man, every time I remember those days in Philippi when we were planning that church, I thank God. Every time I remember you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When, when Paul left Philippi, they continued the relationship. They continued the partnership. They continued to love each other. He continued to invest in them, and they continued to invest in him. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that in a minute at the next point. And then, I mean, he's, he's, he's gushed out. I mean, remember, again, compare this to Galatians where there's almost no nice words. There's almost no encouragement in the book of Galatians. But here in Philippians, it's just gushing. Just Paul's just love letter writing here. And he says, but it's, in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. And you understand when, when, when Hebrews say heart, when, when Jewish people in that culture say heart, they don't mean like we do right here, just lovey-dovey. Affection, they mean closer to the head and the head and the heart all combined, thoughts and emotions all combined. And he says, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. It's again, this idea of partners, this idea of partners communicated here is not just like teammates. It's, it's like people who have invested into a company together and they, they've, they've opened a business together and they've each put in a little skin into the game and they're both working hard towards something. That kind of partnership, fellowship that's going on here. Partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel. And so he's saying, guys, even though I'm in prison, just like I was in Philippi for a little while, I think about you. I'm so grateful for your partnership. I'm so grateful that you continue the work because God continues the work. Verse eight, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, that word affection uh, there in, in the Hebrew mind isn't, isn't heart and emotions. It's actually closer to like gut. In, 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 you may have in the King James there, the bowels of Christ. Uh, this idea, we've changed bowels maybe because it doesn't translate as well in modern ideas, but it's this idea of like the center of everything I am of Christ Jesus. This goes deep. Now that gospel partnership leads to gospel progress. Go back to verse six for a second. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's not rebuking them. He's encouraging them to keep going because he says, look, God started something in you. God started something in Philippi. God started something in your life and he will continue it to completion. Now this, it's God that continues it to completion. 
And what is that day of Christ? Well, that day of Christ goes all the way back to the Old Testament when it talks in Isaiah about the day of the Lord and Ezekiel, the day of judgment is near. The day of the Lord is near. And Joel, it's near. And John, the judgment authority has been given to Jesus in John 5, 27. In Luke 17, 24, the day of the Lord talks about the second coming of Christ. This day of the Lord is when Jesus will return. And our our progressive sanctification, our continued maturity into the fullness of Christ will not be complete until the day of the Lord. But God will be faithful to complete it. Not by your own grit and, and, and just strength and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But God will complete it. And he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Just real quick, I want you to understand that Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, our theme passage for the whole year, is the job of the leaders to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That work is to help each other in gospel partnership through discipleship and true biblical fellowship, koinonia, grow into matureness, into the fullness of Christ, meaning that we have right doctrine, We understand theologically what Scripture is really saying about God, about us, about salvation, about the world. Right doctrine, right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, and right living. Right doctrine, right relationship, and right living. This is what Paul is praying. He's praying that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that they would learn in their maturity to discern what is evil and good, to know what is true in Scripture, to love each other well through gospel partnership, koinonia, so that you, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That idea again, the day of Christ. Listen to me. There will come a day when Christ will return And as we'll read here in a second, every single knee will bow. Why? Because he makes them know because he's just that glorious. I mean, he's flat out that amazing. That when you encounter Jesus, every knee will bow. But listen, listen, Christian. Christ did not die on the cross just so we could get to heaven. He died to make us fruitful right now right now, in gospel partnerships with each other and in gospel progress as we grow more into the fullness of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, lastly, this is not in our passage today, but I want to take you to the central passage of the whole book of Philippians. There's a poem in Verses chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. But I want to give you a little bit of the context there. I'll, I'm not going to dive deep into what all this means because we'll get there. I'll probably reference this passage a lot throughout the series. This is really the central idea of the whole letter. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So what does what is the prospect, what does the gospel prospect of spiritual maturity look like? This is what it looks like. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, listen to this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, how could we do something like this? What would it look like? What a prospect in this world. Talk about fixing all the problems in this world if this is what people looked like. But here's the, the bad news is you can't do this in your own strength. This is gospel maturity. This is growing more into the fullness of Christ. How do we know that? Pick up in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now we start this poem. It's not as poetic in English, but this is a poem. Verses 6 through 11. And this poem is the central theme of the whole book. Who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, back to what Paul called himself in Timothy, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I would encourage you as you read the book of Philippians this week to focus on that passage. This is the prospect of what it means to live out the gospel. This is what will solve all the things we've got going on in our world, brothers and sisters. If we could live this out, imagine what it looked like, what it would look like in the world if we lived out Philippians 2, 1 through 11, having the mind of Christ, considering in humility, considering others more important than ourselves, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or rivalry or conceit, and not fighting for my banner or my cause, but fighting for the kingdom of God and that alone and what the kingdom of God means when it happens in this world. That gospel partnership together. Because listen to me, there is nothing greater than the glory of Jesus Christ. And in the glory of Jesus Christ, as we gaze upon it and see God for as big as he really is, and we help others see the glory of Christ for as big as it really is, man, what a difference it will make in our own lives and the lives of others around us. So are you ready for the day of the Lord? And keep growing, keep growing more into the mind of Christ. Have you been washed by the blood of Jesus? Have you been adopted into the family Then grow. If not, why wait? Your knee will bow one day. Your tongue will confess one day. Why not today? Do you have gospel partnerships in your life? I love this idea of partnership in the gospel. It takes this word of fellowship beyond just a good church potluck with some fried chicken. 
It moves us beyond Sunday school. It moves us beyond gathering on Sunday morning and, and doing a meet and greet time. It really moves fellowship to this idea of gospel partnership. We are partnered together to advance the gospel. That's what fellowship means. Do you have gospel partnerships in your life? You, you need them. You need gospel partnership. Do you have gospel progress? Are you more spiritually mature now than you were six months ago? Do you look more like Jesus now than you did a year ago? There ought to be progress. Guys, we can't stay the same. That's not how this works. It is a, it is a progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. Have you embraced the gospel prospect that could change this world and change your life? I can't make too big of a deal of this. I love the book of Philippians, and I love this church. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do with us over the next several weeks. If you would like to respond to the gospel and to the call that God's put on your life, I'd love to speak with you. You can contact me. You can talk to me after the service or however you want to do that. But don't wait. Don't wait. Let the gospel move in your life. Let's pray. Lord, as we dive into the book of Philippians, I pray that we would find our joy in the gospel. Lord, that we would have gospel partnerships with each other, with other churches, other missions organizations, that you would increase that as we advance the gospel together. But Lord, I pray that the gospel would advance in our own lives that we would grow into maturity, having the mind of Christ, doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. Lord, let us not look to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have, let us have this mind among us, which is yours. Let us be of one mind. Let us not hold ourselves too highly, but submit ourselves to you. Lord, I pray that we would submit our lives fully to you and that you would use us in mighty ways. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.